0: y'all and welcome to a very special episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys will only talk about games. We'll hear about the guys' trip to Dice and Diversions and reviews for Plum Island Horror, Apiary, Unmatched Sun's Origin, Forest Shuffle, Pyramid Dice and Lunar.
1: Hello and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 313, Titania. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. We're really going to try to keep this intro sh- short into one specific topic because we got a lot of games to cover as we were recently at Dice and Diversions, got to play a lot of games. We want to share that with you. But before we get into that, Tony, I got a little bit of a, an, an administrative announcement to make here. I see that. All right. So here's the thing. Google Podcast is shutting down, and uh, we do have some subscribers and listeners listening on Google Podcast. So they're shutting down and wanting uh, everybody to transfer over to YouTube. So what I've done is I've got our YouTube channel, Roll Dice Tech Name, set up with a podcast feed now so that if you listen to podcast or audio on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, there is now a podcast section where... Uh, As soon as an episode is dropped, it will automatically go there. Now, in the past, I've taken and uploaded the audio along with a a thumbnail of of that episode and everything. And I still may do that, but I have to do that manually. This will be automatic. And I did check um, all the show notes work in the description. All the links are there. The only thing it may do is truncate our title because, Tony, we tend to have really long titles as we try to cram as many games in the title as we can.
0: Well, that's so that people can find it on the search. Now, I have no clue how search algorithms work. I can shorten that bad boy up just to, like, maybe a hot game or two. It truncates it to 100 characters, which is fine. Unfortunately, it doesn't grab the
1: show thumbnail. So it's just our generic logo that's going to show up. Um, so if you want to see the nice, fancy graphics work that Tony puts together, uh, you can still find that on our website. I don't think that shows up on any podcast player, though. Then why do I do it? Uh, anyway, because I need to figure out how to do that. I, may, maybe there's a way where I can grab the episode image, but the image would have to be a square. Hey, some homework to work on in 2024. Is there a possible way to where our thumbnail is square, embed that uh into the feed and then YouTube and all these other places automatically grab that so you can see like the boxes of games we're going to be covering and stuff
0: okay Uh, well just tell me the size and i'll cut it down i mean
1: (laughs) that that means you got to work in with a little bit of less space in order to get everything we'll see how that works but anyway i just want to announce that uh up front so if you are using google podcast switch over and we are now available on youtube spotify etc and for all this hard work don't forget you can go and support us over at buymeamoonpie.com or buymeacoffee.com slash rdtn
0: all right. Let's make this happen. You took me somewhere. You made me go to Atlanta to go to Dice and Diversions. Now, this is a new board game con that is going on down in Atlanta, hosted by these incredible gentlemen, Patrick and Shannon, who also do uh, Southern Fried Gaming Expo, which is a fabulous video game show, just place to go and play some pinball, some regular video games, getting in tournaments. But they said, you know, this board game thing seems to be taking off. So they started their own little convention and they said, Marty, Tony, why don't you drive four hours south, come see us and see what you think. And I'll just spoil it for you right now.
1: Loved it. Yes. You know, we've been big fans of Southern Fry Gaming Expo. Tony says it's fabulous, but you wouldn't know because he never goes. But uh, at this show, they also have a large tabletop contingency there. There's a lot of tabletop events going on at this event, which what makes it so good is video games tabletop. So we got involved with Southern Fried because they had listened to our show for years and asked us if we want to come down and kind of help start spurning the growth of tabletop. And they've had such success there. They said, all right, let's just spin off a own separate tabletop only convention about six months out Some Southern Fried. And Tony, I will say it looked like it was a huge success. Uh, It was in it was in a Hilton hotel. Very nice facilities and everything. (laughs) Well we'll talk about that in a second. uh, The facilities were nice. It was nice rooms. It was a nice restaurant. All the rooms were configured nicely. We'll talk about the temperatures of the room later, but uh, we'll get there. But I, I will say they were expecting uh, hopefully around 350 to show up. They said, hey, it'd be great if we got 450. That would be amazing. They ended up having over 550 people show up to this event. And they've already said they've outgrown the space and we'll be looking for a new hotel next year.
0: Well, first for me, the hospitality. They had negotiated with the hotel a coupon to where you could get breakfast at a cheaper rate. Okay, that's a bonus right there. So so that's a nice little thing. That that's one of those small things that mean a lot.
1: Yeah. So when you got there, when you went to the registration table, they offered you to buy breakfast tickets and you went to the breakfast area. I think it saved us seven or eight dollars per person. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a decent amount. The tickets were like fifteen dollars or I can't remember the exact price of the tickets. $12 to fifteen dollars. But anyway, you got a full breakfast. Fantastic. I've not seen anybody else do that. So that was a, a really good deal. But the big
0: winner <laughs> as far as hospitality when it comes to food uh happened on Saturday afternoon. I was outside. I had to run to the restroom. And when I come back, there's a table with free cookies and free milk. Milk and cookies. <laughs> and cookies. <laughs> so, amazing.
1: I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm
0: just like, oh, what 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 is this? I mean, this obviously is for another event that's going on for in the hotel. I've never known a con, <coughs> mega con to provide free cookies and, and with, you know, something to drink. No, just picking, just picking their mega moose con. And I was, and there was a sign that said, this is for Dyson diversion. And I'm just like, Oh, wow. This, this is good. So not being greedy. I got you a cookie, got me a cookie, got some milk. Oh man. washed. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> That just kind
1: of made my day. We're sitting there playing a the game. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there chugging on a little uh plastic
0: container of chocolate milk and mm-hmm. eating a cookie. It was just it was just nice. It, those were the nice things. These were the things that they did to help enhance the experience for the game players there at the hotel. There was a vendor hall, very small vendor hall, but mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. And they, and they had some uh, eclectic ones because you got to get you some wax. For some, your some candles, yes. yes, yeah, some can yeah, some melts, some melts, and
1: uh, I will mention there's also Saturday afternoon because uh, so many people end up showing up to the event, they were scrambling like crazy to try to get extra tables set up, and they did. They put tables into the hallway outside the main gaming room. They got some conference rooms that the hotel provided. They set them up in there, so they ended up opening all this extra space for open gaming. And because it was kind of pretty packed in there Saturday afternoon, and they did the best job that they could. And I knew it was going to run very smoothly because those guys run an amazing event with Southern Fried. And so I knew it was going to go off what looked like to us without a hitch. As attendees, it looks like everything came off without a hitch.
0: Yes. Yes. They had, and a lot of cons do this. They call it their eat, play, win, where you can participate, you get a dinner, and then you'll play a game. And usually the winners at the table will get that game, or maybe there'll be a raffle during that event. They they did that, and Marty and I got to participate in two of those. Uh, we were part of helping run the game, and that was my first time Ready, Set, Bet. And mm. the other one was a trivia game called HexaQuest. And, you know, they have some barbecue, some barbecue chicken, barbecue pork, barbecue chicken, and they had some pretzels and probably one of the best treats ever. And I didn't know this cracker jacks, they had cracker jack mm. bags. When did cracker jacks get away from a box? Oh, a long time ago, but they still have little prizes in there. No, they a lot don't. Of those are like pri- put- those, that's, those are not prizes. Sticker- okay, most of them were just stickers. <laughs> yeah. Stickers that lead to maybe a free game online or something like that. I'm like, I remember the day when you would actually fight for the prize inside. You'd, you'd open a bunch of them because there was this one that everybody wanted. It was kind of like a. It wasn't like a fiddle. Thing that you know, people spin in their finger. It was a little top that you could sit there and blow, and as kids, we would blow it and it would spin around. And oh, they, I forgot about that. They, they were amazing little prizes, now they're just stickers. Oh man, that was, di- but, but the maybe good. I'm
1: remembering this wrong. But did they have like one that was almost like a little pinball thing with a little ball yes.
0: that you flip? Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, you do. I mean, they were useless, they were crappy, <laughs> but they were fun, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and then you lost them, and you it was okay, go get you another box of Cracker Jacks. So those those two events were uh very enjoyable. Lot lot to eat there. I mean, the people didn't starve during those, so that was awesome. And they were they were relatively inexpensive as well.
1: Uh yes, they were. And what was nice was the hotel was also beside a bunch of restaurants. You and I walked to a place, got a burger one night, didn't have to drive or anything. So it's a fantastic location. But
0: it's it's but it's a fantastic location that's not going to be there next year.
1: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Who knows what it will be. Uh, I, I will say The only comment that we had about, as far as like a negative, had nothing to do with the people that Mm. ran Dyson Diversions. I don't know what was going on in the hotel. I don't know if their heat was broken or what. But let me tell you what. There were some areas of the game room that was flipping cold. Oh,
0: my goodness. Put on your jackets, you long johns. Now, January in Atlanta, I know people up north are saying, what are you talking about, cold? All right, so if it breaks 32 degrees going south on that, That's cold because we're just not built for this. We've talked about this on this show. There was a draft and a huge draft. These big conference rooms, they do not have the ability to, you know, heat it up. And I don't know what the hotel was thinking. Shoot, even the people at the front desk were wearing parkas and mittens because because (laughs) it was so cold in the hotel. Now, the room was fine until one morning, Marty's probably probably thinking, why is he taking so long on a shower? It took 20 minutes to finally get some hot water. I'm like, oh, this is going to suck if we don't have hot water. That has zilch to do with the
1: fine folks running Dyson Diversions. That was just some funny. And it was funny. I went and talked to some of the people running. It's like, it's really cold. (laughs) And I was like, yes, we've heard from a lot of people it's really cold. There was one corner, and they say, well, where exactly is it cold? And we both pointed to one corner where we were sitting, and everybody's back there with parkas and caps on and everything trying to get warm. No fault of uh the people running the show it was just it was just funny it was just kind of humorous that we we're making uh, fun of the entire uh weekend but once again guys fantastic job with Dyson Diversions I did ask man I, said, I hate that it's so close to Tantrum Con which you and I are getting ready to go to which you hear about in the next episode uh, but they said Tantrum House actually wanted to have theirs in February and March so they're hoping in 2025 that maybe Tantrum Con will move theirs a little bit later. They'll keep theirs in January. So hopefully people won't have to choose between the two and go to both because I really want to go back again. Again, fantastic run event. Uh, you had, uh, like I said, the Learn to Plays, a lot of events that you could create on the Tabletop Events website and everything like that. So uh, fantastic job. And I can't wait to see them again uh, this summer at Southern Friday Tony and I have been talking about our excitement for the new Star Wars Unlimited
0: game. Bring it baby. Let's go. (laughs) I'm ready to blow me up some Death Star. Let's go. Oh, you coming? I'm going to blow up a planet, baby. Let's go. As of right now, pre-orders
1: are now available on Miniature Market for both starter boxes, which you'll definitely want to get just it's a two deck box. Uh, For being able to learn and play the game, plus, there's unique cards that won't be in the booster box, and the booster boxes are are there now. I don't know if this is going to be one of those, like a Lorcana sort of thing, where they sell out quick, but they are available right now at Miniature Market. The reason I'm saying that because I happen to see they have a big sale today up to 60% off select TCGs and accessories. So, here's the thing if you play card games, you need sleeves, you need deck holders. Uh, we love the game genic products that they've been coming out with the deck holders and the sorters and everything like that. So when I see these things it's like six percent off I feel like oh man. Don't need some new sleeves for any of my games and I go out and pick them up real quick. But the thing is, I'll miss that. If not, I'm not on the mailing list for Miniature Market. That's how I find out about these things. I get on the mailing list for Miniature Market, get these daily deals. It's like, hey, by the way, psst, we got this big sale going on on these accessories. You might want to check it out. And then I go over there and check it out and end up throwing stuff on my cart and end up getting this stuff. But I also get it at a pretty decent deal and I always get free shipping over a hundred bucks or I get just fixed shipping at six ninety nine, which I think is a really good deal, especially if some of these games weigh so heavy, but you don't get over that $100 mark. So again, make sure to check out the daily deals of a miniature market. Go there every day, sign up for the newsletter, and please click on our affiliate link, which you can find on our website, names.com.
2: five-minute initiative begins in three,
1: two, one. I love any Euro game that has a little bit of dice mechanic in it. So when Ares Games released Pyramid Dice, I was very excited to try this out. And this is designed by Luigi Farini. Now, Tony, you got this game out. You were setting it up, and we were kind of going through the rules. And it took you a while to get through the rules. But once you did, and we kind of understood what the goal of the game was and how everything worked, I must say that I really enjoyed my play of this game of cleverly using dice in order to build a pyramid and add a little bit of engine building with it. And when you combine those two things together, it's just, it was a surprise for me.
0: Yeah. And, and there wasn't this constant collection of workers and resources to manage. I mean, you only had eight slots for either workers, cats, or stone dice. That's all you had. And you had to manage that. You had two actions. You could rest, which allows you to go get more resources, more workers, workers, cats, let you manipulate dice, something we always check for in any type of dice game. How can I manipulate the dice? So, that, so if what's rolled isn't what we want, how can I move it up or down? And then of course, you know, we're sitting there like, okay, rest, you'll be able to get those resources. And then you'll be able to, if you have a God, you can use that God to be able to, I don't know, adjust your rest action. And then there's the work action, which is the other one, which is the, the meat of the game where you will go out and you will collect dice that will allow you to either help build the pyramid, pay homage to another God. Get some fame points. I mean, those are some of the key actions you're taking here because overall, it is a race to either complete the pyramid and whoever did the best there gets the most points. You're going to win. Or if you go through and see all the gods in the god deck, that'll end the game for you. You sum all Mm -hmm. that up at the end. Whoever has the most points is the winner.
1: And like you said, the meat of the game is the work because however many worker tokens you have on your board is how many dice you're going to be able to take from the quarry to roll and start using. Certain gods' costs are certain combinations of die, like two, three, four, et cetera, like that. So maybe use the cats to manipulate those to get them once you want. There's gold die, and then there's the white die. The stone die are the ones that actually build the pyramid when you go to put those out. One and two cost no workers, but the five and six cost two workers, but you get points based on the pips that are showing when you put those out into the pyramid. The higher levels of the pyramid, there's only three levels. The higher you go, the more workers you have to use to build on higher levels. You also get a secret objective at the beginning of the game, which may say, hey, at the end of the game, if you have like for every two fours that are together, you get bonus points. So then at that point, like that's what mine was, I'm trying to make sure I get white fours out onto the pyramid so I can use it to generate bonus points at the end. But then the engine building part, Tony, is what I really got into because I could combine these different gods. And during like the work phase, I could start using these gods to manipulate to go, oh, I can turn in this to give me an extra worker, turn in two workers to give me these points, turn in one and one of these to give me seven points. I almost ignored the pyramid. and was generating a lot of my points just from the engine building mechanic I had with my gods.
0: And then as we were only doing this as a two player, I recon- I easily recognized that. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to try to race up the pyramid so that you can't keep doing that over and over and over. But I was you know, kind of stymied because there weren't any white dice in the quarry. So I would always have to go take a rest action to get a white dice back into the quarry. So I needed an engine that would allow me to quickly get a white dice from the supply and get it into the quarry. But then you had a special ability that freaking said, if I spend a white dice and these two things, then I'm going to get a Buku points. I was like, oh man. However, I was a little discouraged, but we came together at the end really close because mm-hmm. of just – I don't know if it was the balance. It was just how it resolved at the end. We were like, man, this is pretty darn tight. Yeah, so I was way ahead. And then Tony, because of his in-game scoring
1: and him working on the on the pyramid, was getting a lot of points. Well, one of your gods were like, add bonus points whenever you mm-hmm. add it to the pyramid. But both of us eventually ha- had spent workers – Uh, cats or whatever, that we had to take that rest action to go back and re-get my supplies. Because remember, you can only take number of dice equal to the number of workers that you have but if you're spending those workers to activate abilities or building the pyramid, you eventually have to take that rest. And that's that was a lot of tension to me because it's like, oh, crap, I don't want to rest because Tony's going to jump ahead real quick. But I've got to get more resources. Fine. I'll rest this turn. And hopefully he would rest soon. Someone's like a pit stop. Mm-hmm. I need Tony to take a pit stop so I can gain here.
0: That's right. And now and there's the timer of like at the end of a rest period, one of the gods gets discarded and mm-hmm. then the, they shuffle down. So you've got this round action thing going on that you're like, okay, I can quickly, if I take some rest actions, then I can move off three gods. You don't want to waste turns, but there is a end game function going on there.
1: And one one last thing too, is I also appreciate you just couldn't run up with a ton of gods because at the end of your turn, you had to have one resource per God. So if you're spending a ton of resources and all of a sudden I got three on my board, but I got four gods, I have to discard a God. So you had to manage that too. Yeah. I will say, big surprise for me of the most recent games we played. I really, really liked it. It plays one to four players, 30 to 60 minutes, which is pretty much spot on. But with the dice manipulation and engine building, I really, really enjoyed this game.
0: So hopefully after, you know, when this came out, Envoy Heralds were doing demos at your local game stores. I hope you were able to go out and get to play this and see for yourself. Once again, thanks to Envoy for sending this over to us. We really do appreciate it. It was a hit over at Rolling Dice and Taking Names. That's Pyramid Dice from Ares Games.
2: Five Minute Initiative is complete. Plum Island
1: is a sprawling isle off the South Carolina coast and features the vibrant seaside town of Greenport, the heart of the isle's daily hustle and bustle of commerce and tourism. But the predominant employer and revenue generator is housed in a huge complex of nondescript buildings located on the north end of the island, the mega corporation known as the Plum Island Research Laboratory. Its enormous facilities are responsible for the employment of thousands of workers and scientists as they conduct government-sponsored biological research and experimentation. All was well till October 24th when a hurricane hit the East Coast, damaging the island and knocking out its main power supply. With no power, the safety systems for the lab's super-secret and highly experimental cylinders containing the most hazardous biological agents suddenly ruptured. The entire facility was inundated with a horrific lethal mixture of chemicals resulting in the deaths and disfigurement of hundreds of personnel who were taking shelter from the storm. But the true horror is yet to come, as these deaths were only temporary. The poor souls who succumbed to the toxins were somehow revived by this strange mixture of chemicals, returning to life as monstrous altered mutations. With these horrors roaming the island, different groups began to work together in order to not only fight off the horrors, but to evacuate what souls they could back to the mainland. And you listeners can play as one of these factions in this cooperative game from GMT Games called The Plum Island Horror from designer Herman Lutman.
0: His bright idea was it to put a biological lab on an island in a hurricane-ridden area. The EPA is not doing the job. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're saying EPA should have not have allowed the building permits
1: of this facility to be placed out there in the Island. Yeah,
0: I think there's some shenanigans going on around these. Uh, I think they were reporting that they were doing chlorine or something because I mean, we already had a, um, a tennis court cause we had the um, athletic group on the Island that was happening, but then we got some military people on the Island going around doing stuff. We've got the neighborhood watch doing stuff I mean, and these are all types of factions that you can play during during your adventures on Plum Island. While, so, hey, you may be on vacation, but suddenly you're battling horrors. I mean, my heavens, what a predicament you're in. Which leads me to, you know, in this game, you know, we we talk about the rules and all, and this is a GMT game. So expect a rule book, a fairly good sized rule book.
1: Actually, Two rule books. Two There's rule a rules books. reference and a, a regular rules book.
0: But, but they soften the blow because the rule book looks like a comic book.
1: They did soften the blow. However, I was very used to the GMT style of games. So when I was reading the book for this game, the Plum Island Horror... Mm-hmm. I was kind of thrown back because I'm used to numbered sections and everything like that. You know, very discreet. Go to section 3.2.4.7 if you want to learn this rule. And that's not in this. And that mm-hmm. kind of threw me for a loop because lots of times when we were learning the game, I would try to look in the index and said, well, that's on page 27. Well, there's a lot of text on page 27. You know, I really like those numbered sections.
0: Yeah. And it's easy to reference back and see what's going on. Now I will say, you know, I mentioned the factions. So with the factions, the players that you're playing in these factions are independent and powers are independent from the other factions, but they synergize inside their faction. That was something that I, I, I enjoyed in this game, Marty. I liked how I, when I was the military, it was their job to kind of call the horrors that are coming down the board. These factions, because we talk about that instead of an individual one, like you would think in Pandemic, where you have an individual capability, each faction has at least five individuals that have individual powers that all work well with the other ones. That amazed me when we were playing this game. I like how that happened. Which adds
1: a lot of replayability, because each time you could play a different faction, like you said, each character has their own ability. And there's also something called a compound. So you actually have six things that you're controlling over the course of the game. And by the way, if you happen to lose all those characters, if they're killed, that's another way to actually trigger the end of the game. So you got to keep them healthy. Now, one thing I like about this is the actual flow of the game. This is played over the course of three days with each day broken up into three sections, morning, afternoon, and night. And I really like how each of these rounds happen because we're going to put all of our faction tokens in, into a bag, along with some of the game tokens called fate tokens and the event
0: token, which is the nasty one.
1: Yes, the impending doom token is is what they call
0: it. They call wait, so, man, hold on. They call it the impending doom, and they it, do and, call it the impending doom token. Yeah. Okay, well that's fair. I'll give it that. That because it was <laughs> it, it was pretty doomful.
1: So what you're going to do, you're going to draw a token and you're going to resolve that token. Now, how the game plays against you is almost like a tower defense. At the very beginning of the game, you've got these stacks of horrors. Horrors are basically just square tokens that are sitting at the top of six lanes. And when it's time for a fate token to be drawn, you have a fate deck going to flip it over. The Top of the card tells you, hey, you're going to spawn some additional horrors into one of these lanes. Then the next part of the fate card tells you which lanes activate and they simply move. The larger the stack of horrors, the slower they move, and obviously the smaller, the quicker they move. And if they run across a civilian, that immediately takes them off the board. If it runs across one of the faction members, a fight ensues. So these
0: horrors are spawning
1: and constantly moving down the board that we have to deal with throughout the entire game.
0: Also from this beautiful bag are the faction tokens, right? That you've got to pull out, and then it becomes that faction's turn. Now, this was something that when we first started playing that we had to wrap our little heads around is you pull your token on the morning of the first day and you get one action. Now, this is just one action for one person in your faction. As the threat grows, more people know about it. So you get to take more actions. The highest was three. Was three. Wow. And we still were able to win. That's that's tough. Now, even though you can
1: only have a certain number of factions depending on the period of the day, what I did like was there was this crisis adrenaline phase right at the beginning of the turn where you could move all Mm -hmm. of your faction standees. Now, these are standees. They're not miniatures, but you could just take a move action with each one of those. Then after that, take an action, full action with one of those. So I do appreciate the fact that even though you can't do something with everybody, you can at least move them and
0: possibly get them into position for a future turn. So so think of it as standard fare with this game. There's move, there's combat, there's exploration. There's new exploration. I'm sorry. It's not exploration as my uh, voice in my ear just tells me. It is where you go out and you try to gather supplies. What was that called?
1: That was actually a certain location that had certain icons
0: yeah. Where you could do a search. A sur- no, okay. Explore, search. Okay, you got me there. You're, you're, you got me. I'm exploring well, I'm just- the land. I'm scavenging the land. Okay, I'm searching the land. You're right. You're absolutely right.
1: Well, it's because it's a search deck. You draw a card. You get to possibly get some uh, supplies, which is very important in getting those supplies. One of the important thing, Tony, is crowd control. So as you move around this board, and it's a grid of different areas on the map, you can actually direct people to get off the island, you got a megaphone out there going, excuse me, everybody, listen to me, please move this way. There's nothing to see here. Keep on going. And you're trying to shepherd uh, these tokens basically down to evacuation areas on the board to where if they get to an evacuation area that has a boat or a helicopter and maybe one of the main mainland bridges, you can take an, an evacuate action in order to actually move them off the board. As they move off the board, they generate points for you. And your goal is to try to generate 26 evacuation points by moving these tokens off the board. So that's what we're trying to do this entire game while maintaining and trying to keep the threat level down from these horrors.
0: After you've done your action, this was another interesting aspect of this game for me was in clockwise order. Someone else can take a basic action, follow up action, follow up. They can go out there and they can take that action they can move, they can do combat, whatever, but they're tempting fate because they, at the end of this, after they do the action, they have to flip over a fake card. And if that fake card has these dreaded words, it's, it's not impending doom, it's draw an event card. Okay. They even broke their own words there, but that's all right. <laughs> then you have to do an event card and that ends all other follow-up actions. So everybody playing can do a follow-up action as long as no event is drawn. That helps with the game as far as the reduction in actions that people can take so that's that was that was interesting but i also like the tension that
1: adds because we're like man if we could just possibly take one extra action then we might set us up for the turn now there are a certain number of cards we checked in the fate deck that says play an event card i think it was like 10 out of 36 so we were doing some card counting tony and we would go, oh man, there's, there's probably only like a 25% chance that you're going to draw one of those cards. So I do like that part of it, of a push your luck sort of deal based on what you've seen so far in the play of the game. We're pulling tokens, we're taking actions, we got the fate tokens coming out. The other one, the impending doom token is basically, hey, you have to draw an event card and you have to play it. And it's always really bad things. Nothing ever good happens when the event card is pulled.
0: Some additional big bad boss might show up. I did like on the event cards that you weren't overwhelmed with those. So I never, even though the event cards were very bad, I didn't feel like this ended the game when we were playing, you know, Mm -hmm. where there was no coming back. Another thing that I enjoyed was if a character on your faction dies, it's not like they're gone for good unless you roll crappy because they have a bravery icon. So you can actually, they resurrect and they don't come back as a zombie. They, they come back, they've got a last shot at surviving and healing up. There's healing. Of course you can heal. And if you're in a hospital, you can heal or some people have the ability to heal others or heal themselves. So all that's going on too. So you're managing all this with limited actions while horrors are descending on you and trying to kill the inhabitants of the island.
1: And I will say combat in this is very straightforward. Let's say you fight a stack of horrors, depending on the size of the stack and the terrain that you're on, it'll say, okay, this size of the stack on this particular type of terrain generates X amount of hits. Okay, you're going to be taking those hits. Then your character card will say, okay, if this is a melee attack, roll X amount of dice. The dice have blank sides, which obviously do nothing. They have a shield side, which blocks damage. They have a full hit, which will do one damage back. They have a half hit, So if you get two half hits, that makes one full hit. And they have a crit where it does a damage and you get to re-roll that die. So that's exploding dice. Every time you have a crit, you get to re-roll. So combat is quick, fluid. You don't have to roll for them. You know exactly how much damage that you have to apply. Once a token bag is empty, then, Tony, we have another bag that we have to go and pull from. And that's these little cubes that we've been seeding uh, the entire time as we play this game. Because every time there's a combat, We have to take a little yellow cube, if it's available, and throw it into a draw bag. And at the end of a turn, we have to draw a cube, which will possibly move up the biohazard level. Mm -hmm. Pull out a green cube, nothing happens. Yellow cube moves one space. Red cube, it moves two spaces. And if it ever gets to the end of its track, the game also automatically ends there, too. So we want to control that level, and there are certain locations on the board where you could actually decrease the biohazard level.
0: But what's keeping me from just battling all the time, Marty? Well, if you ever run out of those cubes and you can't put a cube in a bag, guess what? Your biohazard level's going up. So they have your check and balance there as well for the players to kind of mitigate, oh, we'll just go out and kill all the hordes and then it's no problem marshalling these people into boats and across bridges. Not everything's hunky-dory. Marty mentioned that, hey, you got to fix the power. So there's repairs you got to do. And probably one of the things that some people may be turned off to in this game and during the first phase of the evening, people got to eat. You got to eat. You, you've you been killing zombies or horrors. <laughs> you're, you're famished. So you got to manage your food. And if you don't have enough food, people take uh wound. Everybody, you know, it's, it's the standard fare with, with one of these games where you're having to feed people.
1: And you get supplies through either uh, possibly doing the searches, and there's also some locations which have a forage icon. And when you take a, a forage action, you get to collect a supply. One thing I do appreciate—I mentioned melee combat. There's also range combat, but if you do a range combat, you do have to spend a supply. A supply counts as food; it counts as everything—food, ammo, etc. So I do like that there's only one type of resource that you have to manage, and that's just that supply.
0: I, I like that too. And I like how they use the food for range. That was just so cool. I was like, okay, yeah. I don't have to worry about managing that or going to get that.
1: But I also like, too, that there were some NPCs on the board. You start with one, and through your search deck, you might find more. And on your turn, you can actually activate those NPCs to take the same sort of actions that you would take. But if they have a ranged attack, you don't have to spend supply. So if you creatively use the NPCs, uh, sometimes you can save on supplies. You also have these helicopter tokens that you move around to different areas for help evacuation. You got these ship tokens that you may have to reposition. And what's interesting, Tony, is those repositioning of ships and helicopters can only be done in a follow-up action. So sometimes you're forced to push your luck and take a follow-up action because you may need to get a boat over to a dock where you have a bunch of survivors and you got to get
0: a boat there for them to be able to evacuate. Is there anything else we need to talk about how the game's played? I think we're pretty well got it covered there.
1: I think that's it. I think what's cool is just the fact this is 100% a co-op game. We're talking. We're trying to decide what to do. Maybe one person's really good at fighting, and they're going up and trying to to uh, keep the horse from moving maybe somebody's good at crowd control or moving the tokens along and helping to evacuate some are really good at repairing if the helicopter gets broken you need to go and and repair now the other thing is there are some checks every so often you have to make on like repairs and stuff the fate deck also has a number at the at the bottom of it and like if you do a repair you flip over and if you have a six hey great you did a really good job on the repair if it's a one you messed up and actually it got damaged more so the fate deck is used for a lot of things, for checks, spawning, moving, and activating the horrors, and also the check to see if in a follow-up action, if you're going to have to play an event card a lot. So you'll be interacting with the fate deck a ton during this game.
0: So some of the top things about this game that I enjoyed. Well, one, not having to control a whole bunch of resources. I like that. I like how they get one resource was being used. Number two, I like the fact that the factions were symmetric on your board, but asymmetric between the other groups and they worked well together. The tension of the, the game, I felt, continued to grow throughout it. So that was good. Now, my one con is I did feel like the game was a little long and that it drug at some points, uh, especially when we were making some decisions that we had to do. And therefore, if you're wanting a quick hit survival type game or where you're saving the world, this may not be it for you. But overall, if you want to spend two to two and a half hours doing a survival game or three hours, and
1: you think we could get it less. Now, we played with we played with three people and we played with Ryan from One Board Family, uh, who was very interested in trying this game. Uh, he says he really likes things like Side and Dead of Winter. For him, he enjoyed everything about the game, but he did feel like it stayed on the table too long for him. He said, this is probably not one I'll buy because I want something that finishes up in 90 minutes.
0: And this is probably a minimum a two-hour game. Oh, yeah. Easily two hours as long as you don't have to do a teach. And I think the challenge in the replayability comes in with that Doom deck, the event deck, and bringing out the various spawning. You could spawn multiple big bads out onto the board if the deck just happens to be shuffled that way. So I think Mm -hmm. you'll get a lot of replayability.
1: I do like the flow of the game. I like the player actions. I like the turn order bag. You don't know... Who's going to go when? I do appreciate that. I actually don't mind the feeding. I think thematically, I think that's really kind of interesting. I like the different number of actions per every round. Again, you're only going to be playing over nine rounds. So in the middle of the game, you're actually getting the most actions possible. But towards the end, they start going away. I like the theme of trying to save people. You are having to manage three different things. Biohazard level. There are certain spots on the board where there's what's called overrun, where if some monsters get there and they overrun certain areas, uh, that could cause a trigger at the end of the game. Uh, everybody dies or at the end of the game, after nine rounds, you have not scored 26 points worth of civilians. Then you also lose the game tier. So there's only one way that you can win and you have to play the entire game. I will get through it. I agree that it does run long. This is not something you're just going to put down on the table and play uh, real quick. People may want to compare this to I mean, maybe sort of dead a winner with that survival aspect uh even though there's not somebody there's not a betrayer uh in this one like in Dead of Winter I think I do like this better than Zombie Side but it's just that length I've got some good news to announce to people if you think this game sounds really cool and it is a really cool co-op experience I think it's a ah, you have you haven't played Zombie Side in a while have you
0: I played it about a year ago
1: I feel this is less luck based
0: than Zombie Side uh, yes and I and I also like the fact that I'm not having to worry about upgrading yes that I think to me is a big separation. Okay. You want a fast hitting game, then play zombie side, but you're going to have to manage upgrades and and all all the various gear that come with it, which is what you want in a game like this here. You don't have to play with that. And I'm going to use the word fiddly because it is, it is to me. The zombie Mm -hmm. side is fiddly from that standpoint, but it's fast in luck. I agree with you. This is less luck based.
1: Especially when you can start counting. It's like, okay, I know how many cards are in the deck that may say pull the event card, um, et cetera. You kind of know how many cubes are in the bag uh, for when you pull out uh, cubes that's going to move the biological hazard track. So I do like that. So today on GMT Games website, they have the expansion for this, Tony. It's called the Plump Island Horror, More of a Bad Thing. Okay. This is already... Had uh, over 500 orders, so it will be coming out. It introduces brand new factions. It has nightmare mode, which makes it even harder. So the nightmare mode is this: you know, in a follow-up action, you take your action, draw an event. Nightmare mode, you draw the event card first, and if it says play an event, uh, play an event card, you don't get to do your follow-up action. So play, yeah, draw a fake card, and okay, so you you reverse it. Uh, okay, yep. It's introducing semi co-op mode so if you don't necessarily want to be fully co-op you can there's some more mutations stuff but here's here's the big one new short scenarios for those of you who actually have lives and can't spend all day playing silly board games that need do short scenarios oh. that fixes the problem and i love how this whole page is written up i mean the designer says yeah this is a two three hour game so here if you want to be able to sit down and knock something out in maybe under two hours. He didn't say how long it is. This is going to be at new short scenarios. I will be back in this expansion because I know I'll get this out on the table more often. If
0: it doesn't take that amount, same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you're going to spend your money wisely on there. It, w- it was enjoyable, but yes, it, it, I would not sit down a lot for a two and a half, three hour game, especially having to teach it. You know, now that you and I've played it, not a big deal.
1: I think this will be a good. October game. Uh, to pull out and play it. uh, especially the short version. I think I can get Vanessa to play. So, and here's the thing is y'all, as of today, this game is hot. It is number three on the BGG hotness list. So again, the Plum Island Horror from of all places, GMT Games, hot game. A lot of people interested in it. Really unique theme designed by Herman Luttman. It's available right now. If this tickles your fancy,
0: you know how what
1: it does for us. It may do the same thing for you.
0: Uh, it's not tickling my fancy. Not much tickles my fancy. Say. That's true.
1: It's not too late to get on that late pledge for the Game Toppers 4.0 Kickstarter that was last year. You need to upgrade your gaming experience, y'all. One thing you can do that with is that new young Sherlock coffee slash children's table, Tony. I keep eyeing that thing. I think that thing would just look really good right in the middle of my living room. And now that Vanessa has a puzzle that she wants to put together, that's probably the perfect place to put it because then she can just kind of keep out, keep it out, and put it together there. Maybe get one of those nice new thematic mats mm-hmm. and put it out there on the board. Probably has to be solid color though, because if it's one of those nice. Fine, you know, nicely. Yeah, you'll never, nice you'll never find mats. it. You, I'll never find the pieces. So, kind of got to go with solid color, uh, which is fine. It's probably going to be best for puzzles. But uh, yeah, so he has new mats, new accessories. You've got this young Charlotte coffee table again that's
0: available. So I want, I want to build on that a little bit from that, cam- uh, from the um, puzzles. Now we talk about it for games and being able to that the rail system of this will keep the pieces on the table. Don't just. Expand your mind, people. Think beyond just the board games. These can be used for other items. That I, I mean, I cannot tell you how many times Donna's like, I cannot find this piece. And I end up crawling around on the floor, rubbing my hand on the carpet, waiting for the piece to pop up. Now, if she would just let me put the game topper on top of the table, now I do put the game topper mats because they're they're amazing for picking up the pieces and they're not getting stuck on those felt puzzle mats that that you can buy. She would keep them all contained right there. And she can put in a holder for her drink so that when she knocks it over, it's not spilling all over her nice new puzzle. It's great for card night to be able to play cards on. It's not just for board gaming. So if you're looking for the capability of having a New game table or something that will enhance that experience, be sure to go over to the late pledge over at Game Toppers LLC or go over to Kickstarter and just type in Game Toppers 4.0 and it will take you straight to that page. Five
2: Minute Initiative begins in three, two, one.
1: I've said it before and I'll say it again. If anybody offers us a game that's a trick-taking game, we'll try it. And that's what we've done with this latest game from All Play Games called Lunar from designer Masato Yusugi. This is one of the most unique trick-taking games I've played in quite a while. You play two to four players, but we've only played four. And I think that's just going to be honestly the best way to play. And you play as teams like you would with hearts or spades. But let's play with teams.
0: Hearts is not, spades is,
1: yes. Just like with spades. All right, so just like we do with spades. Here's the thing is that there's two separate decks, y'all. There's 24 cards that are numbered uh, one through eight. There's three sets of those. There's also 24 cards that are four different colors, four suits, six of each one of those. So you have numbers one through eight, and you have four different suits. Each of you are dealt six of cards of each of the deck. And then the first player is going to play one of their cards. They're going to play the rank or they're going to play the suit. The partner must play the opposite of what you've played. So between two teams, you're going to have a rank and a suit between one team and a rank and suit between another. You're going to determine which suit wins the trick and they're going to gather it. Something that simple sounds like,
0: oh, that's a really cool game in itself. But Tony, there's more to this game than just even that. So before the game gets started, you will be passing two suits. Two ranks to your partner. Then the person who has the lead will then flip over a token that indicates they don't want that to be Trump. The next person will then flip over and say, I don't want that to be Trump. And then the third person will then flip over and say, I don't want that to be Trump. And what's left is now Trump of the game. Person with the lead begins, as Marty says, he'll play either a suit or a rank. But this was the part I enjoyed most, because I enjoy the game. Oh hell. And that mm-hmm. is, depending on the number of tricks you take, we'll score you some points. And there are danger zones that you don't want to be in. And you will score zero points if you get in that danger zone. So it's a way to say, you know, we really need to slough off some tricks to push them into the danger zone. Oh, wait, but if we get them too close, then they're going to get 10 points. I like that, that there's no bidding, but there is still that complexity of trick taking, of knowing when to give tricks and when to take tricks.
1: Yeah. So for example, if you take one, two, or three tricks, you're going to get 10 points. If you take four or five tricks, you get zero. That was the coolest thing of all. Because it's like, let's say we're partners. Can we slough off enough to only take one, two, or three tricks? And where the other team's going, ah, crap. No, no, no. I'm going to try to set them, make them take a trick so they get that fourth trick worth zero points. And then they have to actually get two more to get even any points at all. You have this really cool dynamic of Not only determining what the trump's going to be each turn, each of you must play different things. And now you're trying to take a certain number of tricks to maximize your points. Throw in also, some of the cards actually have stars on them. And if you take a trick with a star, it's worth an extra point at the end. You're going to keep playing over and over until one team has 30 points, and that will actually be the winner. Now, one thing I do say, the trick-taking rules are, are exactly what you expect them to be. You must follow lead suit. If you can't fall, you can play anything else. If you happen to have the play a Trump and there's no other Trump at the end, then you're going to get that suit. If you have matching suits, then whoever has the highest rank would win.
0: Now, the only downside of this game is that the flipping of the Trump, it pretty well tells people what you've got or don't have in your hand. And therefore, you're like, oh, OK. So they're not going to have a lot of these. So it kind of helps you with the lead on the suits. So that's some of the basic card play that you'll have to deal with. But overall, fun game. I enjoyed it. I think it would be tough for me to get this uh, to the table with my other friends who enjoy cards because I think it would be a little complex in the sense of, okay, how do I know what to play and when to play it? You know they're they're just so used to normal card play, so I I, I like that. So for people who really enjoy like board games and this kind of stuff, this is a good one to get on the table. It's very quick, very fast playing.
1: Yeah, and also at the end of each round, you're going to take your player token and move it to the left, so the lead is going to constantly change throughout the game. So. Whichever tokens are in front of you, determine the leads. And we found out sometimes you don't want to go first. You'd rather your partner play a card before um, you do. I love this game. It's this small box type game that comes with all play. So it's very easy to throw into a bag. I'm taking it to Tantrum Con this weekend because I want to teach others. That is Lunar, one of the best, unique trick-taking games I've played in quite a while. And if you like this style of game, plays about 20 minutes, I think you should check it out.
2: Five minute initiative. Is
0: complete no that's not your text thing going off on your phone or anything like that that's the sound of bees buzzing in the new game from Stonemeyer games called apiary by connie vogelman do bees bees do bears bear i know they fart in the woods i've heard that I know. They also do other things in the wood, because when I was in Alaska, I almost stepped in some. Okay. All right. We got that out of the way. So we are looking at a um, game that is a worker placement game. A worker bee placement game. Uh (laughs) I'll see what they did there. Yeah, and and we're busy as bees, and I promise you, we will stop. Yeah, because I know everybody else in the world's done it, too, so we'll quit. It says so. They're hyper-intelligent, but bees make the world go round. You know, they're the big pollinators. Oh, I agree. Mm-hmm. So they like to colonize. So it's a worker placement game. Guess what you're going to be doing. You're going to be placing some workers and these are the uh-huh. bees. And when you place these bees out there, there are various areas that they can go. The first one is you can explore, go out and discover some planets where you will be able to collect various resources that you need to be able to go out and later buy stuff in the advance area where you will turn those in and get some tiles to add to your tile board. Everybody has their own tile board. By the way, there's special powers. Every bee colony is different. I like that. Then there is, of course, the grow action, which gives you the ability to expand your hive out. Then you've got the research, which are these special seed cards that are multi-purpose use cards. They may have some in-game scoring, but they also have ways for you to take additional actions, but you can only got to pick one, you can't do them both. And then there is the convert where you can move. Oh, let's move. Oh, I don't know fiber. And then let's go get us some water or let's go convert some fiber and some pollen or water and some pollen and go get some honey. And then of course, there is the big thing. You got the carve action. And that's big tiles for big end game scoring. That's mm-hmm. where you are placing your workers. But where this game, it might be slightly different. And I can't think of any, I, I'm, not, I'm sure there are, but the bees have powers to them. And when these bees go out on the board, they, you take that power and it allows you to do a simple action. Maybe in the explore action, you can move the queen bee one space if you put out a one space, uh, one power bee. Then someone comes along and they place their bee in that same area. You add the power of the bees and now the queen can move. He placed out a one, you placed out a one, you can now move them too. And throughout all those sections, that's what you're using. The power of these bees to do additional, stronger actions in those areas. That was the big thinky part for me is how to, how to manipulate these powers and use them to the best ability.
1: Well, that's what made the game unique for me. So every bee has levels one through four. Start out with level one. And uh, basically the tokens are are really nice. Uh, Each side has a different number on it. So you can easily track what level the bees are. The thing is, though, is when the bees come off the board, uh, let's say somebody goes to an area and they push you off the board When it comes back, you have the option to go ahead and get it ready for the next turn and level up from one to two, for example. Now I have a level two worker I can put out there. He levels up and when it gets to four, he would level back to one and go off to the side of the table. He's been used, he's done, and you have to take a special action, which is the grow action in order to get a worker bee from your supply back onto the board. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're constantly being leveled up, and like Tony said, the higher the levels, that allows you to buy more additional tiles. Maybe uh, when you go do the carve action, which is in-game scoring, you have to have a level four when you do that. When you go to draw cards, the higher level. As the number of cards you can draw. It's like if it's level four, draw four cards, keep one. Uh, when I go exploring to get resources, that's the amount of places I can move that queen bee to get to the spot I need to get resources. So the higher level is always better for you to use. Or do it, or What's really useful is the conversion. We want to do some converting resources. The level of your bee determines the number of conversions that you can make. So the interesting thing is, when do you want to use the bees, knowing that eventually they'll go back to a level one, then you have to take an action in order to get it back onto your board. But Tony, one thing I did like was you're building out your hive, right? There's one section of the board where you can go and add tiles to your hive that are special abilities. Like there's farming tiles or or tiles that give you abilities or uh, skills that just last throughout the entire game. One action you can do on your turn is do a retrieve. Take all the bees off the board that are yours, level them up, get them ready to go out onto the board again into your little worker area on your mat. For everyone you pulled off, you can activate one of the farms. And the farms are typically going to be used for also getting resources. So not only can you use the board to get resources, this retrieving of your workers generates resources by using your farm tiles, and it will level up your bees to something more
0: useful that you could use in the upcoming turns. Now, the retrieve action can really mess people up, too. I'm counting on Marty's 2B being in a certain location so I can place my 3B Because like I said before, you can add those up, and then you get to take, oh, I don't know, a tile in the five column under the uh, advance. Well, Marty just retrieved. Well, that just messed up my whole game. Well, not my whole game. He messed up my turn, but he's messed up my game previous. I'll go ahead and just say that. He just already screwed me up. So that action of retrieve is very in my mind, strategic because maybe you can see what someone's working towards. And you're like, you know, I really don't want them to have this action. But then again, if you retrieve too early, you can't take as many farm actions as you want because only the bees that go back active can take farm actions. And you might do something that may cause them to go and turn into four, which then immediately makes them hibernate. When you hibernate a bee, four, and it goes off the board, you then place a hibernate token in the hibernation area, which gives you some special... Uh, resources or allows you to take an additional card. It's it's like the end game. It's the end game trigger. Trigger. Yes. Trigger. Once every spot has a hibernation token on it, that will trigger the end of the game. And in that area, there's some area majority, whoever has the most high hibernate tokens will gain victory points. So that's an in game scoring that you need to be keeping track of as well. Or if someone puts out all their hibernate tokens, that's an in game scoring it. Um, method uh, to get the game. So whoever has the most victory points at the end of the game wins. The uniqueness is the bees are, are advancing. They're getting stronger. The workers are working out. They're they're lifting some additional pollen. They're bringing it back. They're making the queen bee happy. She gives them a special duties to go out and do it again until they get too worn out and they have to hibernate and you have to figure out how to bring them on. You can mess yourself up sometimes with this retrieve action. You cannot be thinking very well. well what about... I forgot to go out and get my other bees and bring them back to the hive. If there's ever a situation where all your bees are resting or have gone through hibernation, you may pull one back right then Mm -hmm. and then bring it back out onto the board. And then that helps you generate them over. So you're never really stuck. The game ends. Um, Placing the tiles are very important because some of them, if they're long, if they're set next to one another, you'll get additional points. So a lot of ways to score additional points that you just have to keep track of.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of point salad in this with how you want to generate your points. And it's also very much kind of a solitary game. Uh, you can take advantage of other bees on the board. Like Tony said, somebody he may get screwed up if somebody retrieves their bee before he was getting ready to use a spot. But there's not a lot of negative player interaction. Maybe, t- Well, I guess maybe if you take a tile from somebody they wanted, but it's not intentional. You don't know that somebody actually wanted that tile. So it really is going to be focusing on the hive that's in front of you. Building out your hive, getting the right tiles positioned, determining when do I want to retrieve my bees, and managing the level of your bees. When it comes to a straight worker placement game, it's pretty standard fare. Nothing really unique. None of these places on the board are that doesn't really stand out from any other worker placement game. It's the leveling up of the workers and then resetting and you have to get them back on the board that makes the game unique to me. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, you know, some people in our group say, you know, it may have stayed on the table too long, but that's because some of us were sitting there taking our actions a little long. How long do you want a worker placement game to last?
1: For this style of game, it stayed on the table too long for me. Uh, I was enjoying what I was doing. I wasn't crazy about the pacing of this game. It never changed to me. It was kind of like the same pace. It didn't gain momentum. I love games that gain momentum as it goes to where, holy crap, the end of the game is coming a lot faster than what I was expecting. I got to hurry up and scramble and do stuff. I felt myself, it's like, oh my gosh, we still got six hibernation spots to fill. That sort of feeling, Mm -hmm. which is not a good feeling for me.
0: Okay. Okay. But for others, that may be like, okay, I don't like that. I wish I had additional turns. You don't want Mm -hmm. that big, heavy momentum shift. As someone is, you're seeing they've got that end game right in front of them, and you're not going to be able to get your actions because you have not been as efficient as they were with their leveling and their control. Yeah, it depends on what you like and what you enjoy in your worker placement games. I do like ones where I see the end round coming. Sometimes I feel like okay, if I've screwed up in the very beginning, I will never achieve my be competitive. Be competitive. Oh, bad. I'm sorry. I said I wouldn't do it. It was an accident. Yeah. I I will say we did run into something with one of our gameplays where an individual had a special B that gave them special powers, and just so happens are in our convert action, we had a special. Uh, convert to get honey, which then they were able to get a tile, and he decimated us in scoring. It, it was just like a perfect storm, uh, you know. Yep. And it can happen. There, there's, mm-hmm. there's those potential. There is that potential. So there was like the power of his hive.
1: He got some tiles that synergized perfectly together to where one fed off the other
0: and created just an engine.
1: It's like I don't know how you stop this sort of deal.
0: Right. He had a. He had what is it? The combo. He had a. S- s- Super combo. Yes, he did. So you you can have that happen in this game. So combos do, hey, they do happen. Like I was sitting there, I I know one time I was taking way too long, but I was sitting there playing all these seed cards. I had built up this deck of seed cards trying to get uh, multiple actions to occur. And I was like, okay, so this was taking a little too long. And I know I slowed it down for you guys. For me, I, I enjoyed
1: the mechanics of the leveling up. I wasn't crazy about the pacing, the theme is forgettable. Space Bees, I almost wish it was something more realistic because honestly, that, that just kind of washes away and I'm just really kind of placing tokens at the time. So that's kind of where I stand 100% what I play again. Do I need to own it? No, because I think there's other worker placement games I would uh, rather keep my shelves, but I for sure uh, would play it again.
0: Okay. So for me, Donna loves her tile placing games. I have not put it on the table with her. I'm interested to in see how this will play with two players, see how the pacing picks up. I think for us, this might be one of those that I could, you know, I want to go for a little bit longer than her usual tile placing games and you challenge her to figure out these combos. I do think it's a good game for someone who's not familiar with worker placement. I think the bees will get them enhanced. I just hope it's not too complex on understanding the retrieve action and the hibernate and making sure that they have a plan. So I really appreciate the fact that they have that ability that if you've messed up, you're able to still go on your turn by bringing be back from hibernation. And then you can help them walk through the pace of it. So that is Apiary from Stonemaier Games.
2: Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Restoration
1: Games has released another unmatched set. This is called Unmatched Sun's Horizon, which spotlights two heroes from Japan. One is Oda Nobunaga. You know, this game's all about what new abilities and new things that a character can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This person has two henchmen or sidekicks, and his thing is about flanking. He wants to have to where there's two of of his pieces adjacent to a uh, the opponent. And if so, there are cards that can kick in special abilities if you're flanking. So that's his whole thing. The other character is Tomo Gozen. And I did really like her character. I thought she was really cool. Her whole thing was... If somebody leaves an area uh, that is the same color of the area she's in, they automatically take one damage. So there's cards in her deck that can possibly push or manipulate where people are on the board and just automatically generate damage by them just going out a different zone than her. So again, two very unique characters uh, in this unmatched set based on these Japanese heroes.
0: I haven't played a lot of the uh, unmatched games. So when when you put it on the table, I'm like, okay, a quick refresher. That's one of the beauties about unmatched. Haven't played it a lot, but, you know, you went over it very quickly with me. You you know, card iconography stays the same. Understanding the board, understanding the zones of the attack. Very nice. And I can appreciate that. And to your point, it's what do these characters bring to this game? I liked some of the aspects of the uh, Tomo Gozen character. I like some of her card play and how that she would hit and be able to move quickly. I liked her range capabilities that she had. And also on this board, it's, and when you and I first were playing, it was like, wait a minute, how in the world is she hitting me from all the way across the board? It was just two layers and how they represented two layers of a ship, I believe, or maybe it was a factory. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Yeah, it's a really
1: cool map. I like the yeah. map of this one where it feels like a ship and there's multiple levels
0: of the ship and they represent that well. Yeah. I wasn't keen on this flanking thing when I was playing. Um, Tom- <laughs> cause I pinned you in. <laughs> I know, but I was like, okay, well eventually you're going to have to run away. You're going to run away yeah. and you know, tuck your tail. Cause I'm, cause I got a lot of good cards that did a lot of damage that also allowed me to pull back in from my discard pile. Once again, that's part of a match. How is their deck built? And what is the balance of that versus the other person? And then how would it affect the other characters that I have in the other uh, match series that, we, that are out there? And then I was also thinking, you know, from um, how would this fit into Tales to Amaze? Be kind of cool, especially, you know, is Oda in Tales to Amaze? These are two brand new characters. Yeah, bra- It'd be interesting yeah. to see how his henchmen apply to Tales to Amaze and get that on the board. Mm-hmm. All in all, you know, uh, Unmatched Sun Origins, if you're into it, this is, a I think, would probably be one that you definitely want to have just because of the difference of those characters bring to the game.
1: I see. I like the characters themselves. And yeah, the game pretty much plays the same when we explain the characters. But I kind of got into these characters. So Tomo Gozen is a natural person in Japanese history. I read a couple of papers on her that's really interesting. So she was part of the samurai. And back then, the samurai would basically go to battle and it was expected that the wife of the samurai would stay home and learn how to fight. She learned how to fight to be able to protect and defend her house. This character here was one that actually went onto the battlefield and actually fought uh, with the other samurai. And so I was reading up on her and, the, and, there, and it's it's interesting. I was read this thing. It's like, there's a lot of stories about her, but most of them are legendary and not necessarily historical but they do know that there's some things where, like, uh, there were de- she was defeated in a fight, and she took down two of the leaders, and uh, so she just had, really has this cool story. But the more I read into this, what's really cool is come to find out that there were more women in the Japanese army and Japanese military than were originally thought. It wasn't that rare necessarily for someone like her to be a samurai and fight. So I thought that was really interesting too, as they dug into the history. I mean, again, I read this was from the University of Hawaii. I read this long whole paper on her because I just thought it was about interesting women warriors in early Japan. So what I liked about this of like GMT games, right? It's like, oh, here's something I didn't know about. You learn about the history of this new character. So I appreciate for opening my eyes to this really cool character.
0: Hey, there you go, games that teach. That's what we got going on here.
1: (laughs) That's right. So anyway, if you're looking for the latest Unmatched and it's a full set, board, two brand new characters that can be used with any set, check out Unmatched, Sun's Origin. Once again, the art is absolutely immaculate. The art on the cards, art on the box is so good. If you're an Unmatched fan, yeah, you're going to want this one in your collection.
2: Five-minute initiative is complete.
0: Hey, Marty. Yeah. Did you get your invite to the 25th anniversary show at PortalCon this year? Mine got lost in the mail. You know, you think for all the years we invite Ignasi to our Squirrely Awards event, you think we finally just won your invite to his big event over in Poland. I think he'd probably come back and say, you know, it's a standing invite if you just get your sorry bruts over here. But... At PortalCon, they talked about the new game printing press, which is a follow up to Gutenberg. If you're interested in that, go over to Port, shopportalgames.com, get in that pre order. Then, of course, there's the Merchant Skill pre order that's currently hot, according to the website. It's got a little red banner that says hot. So you can get that. That's only $10. And of course, you can always pick up Imperial Miners, one of his big hits from 2023. And by the way, if you're like, you know, Gutenberg, maybe maybe I'll pick up Gutenberg. It's currently on sale over there at Shop Portal Games. And oh man, just so many of their classic games. And if you watch 25 Years of Portal and watch some of the um, announcements that were coming out, maybe the nostalgia for Robinson. Go ahead. Maybe you traded it away like I did as a fool a long time ago. Get it back. You need those survival games. You need a hard co-op game. I mean, you heard us talk about these uh, Plum Island horrors coming. That's nothing compared to trying to find enough wood on an island to burn to get a a signal fire up and created like Robinson. You'll be dying all the time of dysentery and other deadly diseases of animal attacks. Nothing makes you feel good like suddenly, oh, we're wiped. We're done. So go ahead over to ShopPortalGames.com.
2: Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one.
0: All right. One of the hot games that's out right now is a game called Forest Shuffle, designed by Kosh, uh publisher's lookout game. And, yep, it's a nature game. It's a set collection game. This is what this game is. You are trying to build the best forest out there and, and bring in some birds, have some mushrooms, You know you got some animals out there, and based on the various combinations that are happening, you're going to score some points at the end of the game. So if you're able to do a good set collection and get various combos going, then you are going to score well in this forest shuffle game. Personally, this game was kind of mild for me. It didn't initially grab me. I've played it with my family. I've played it with the gentlemen at our game night, and I can understand the appeal. I really can. However, for me, this game was just became a set collection, and how can I manipulate those sets so I get the most points at the end?
1: Yeah, and on your turn, you're going to be able to play cards, and you have to discard cards uh, equal to the cost of that card, and I'll put it into play. But you're going to be putting trees on the table. And then the cards that you uh, put under those trees have two sides, a top, bottom, left, or right. So when you put that under a tree, you'll either expose the left or right side of the car, the top or the bottom, and that's going to be the animals or plants or etc. that you're trying to collect. And I'll say, hey, if you pair this animal with this animal, you get some bonus points for every however X of this animal you have, you get points. So you're looking out at a market on the board and on your turn, you can take cards from the market. You can draw from the deck, trying to get a full hand of cards in order to try to create the best set collection that you can. I, too, was just somewhat okay on it. We heard a lot about it from Dyson Diversions. They had been selling out everywhere. It just so happens one of the vendors there had it. So I went and picked up a copy, and I I couldn't wait to play it. Now, if you don't have a lot of set collection card games, this might be one to put into your collection. And so I'm going to ask you for playing with other people, did they have any trouble grasping or understanding the cards and how they worked together? As far as reading the cards and go, oh, I know if I pair this together, it's going to give me points.
0: No, I mean, after I told them some of the iconography, they quickly grasped it. They understood probably the hardest thing was understanding that when you discard to pay for the card, that if it has that bonus action, you need to make sure that your discards of that color all match. That was messing them up. And they had to watch their hand size because, you know, there's a 10 Card hand limit. Also, one of the things is when the when the board gets full, then if it gets ten or more, it immediately gets wiped. So you know some cards that you may want disappear. So they weren't happy when some of that occurred, but hey, that's part of the strategy of the game. But I did see where I saw certain trends form up. Like, okay, this person's only doing this. Therefore, that's easy to mitigate. Oh, wait, they're collecting all of these trees. That's midi- easy to mitigate. There was some argument. What do you mean by mitigate? Um, what I mean is, oh, they, they are only collecting um, species for the oak because you need all these species. Well, make sure they don't get a chance to grab those trees. So you could hate draft. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah Absolutely.
0: Okay. Uh, yep. I, I call it mitigating. You can call it hate drafting, but yeah, I mitigate their scoring. Um, I had the chestnuts and people were discarding chestnuts left and right. I just ran that up and got a lot of points. And then of course, there was a big argument over species of butterfly. And we had to go to the rule book where it talked about what are the different types. They were different names for the butterflies, but they were the same species. They said, well, they've got different names. I said, no, they got to be different images. And mm. th- there was some various things. So uh, all in all, they liked it. But they, they didn't grab them like I thought it would because it was such a low-key set collection game. They were like, yeah, it's all right. I will say, I think we're probably one of the few
1: people that are going to say this. This game is super hot. I see it talked about online all the time. People are playing it. I think it's fine. Maybe it was because I saw it so overhyped. I thought it was going to be something really cool and unique. It's not really unique. It's just a clever way of doing set collection. I do like multi-purpose cards, y'all. I do like multi-use cards. So that part, I really, really like. I like having each card is basically two parts. But for me, there might be some other set collection card games. I might be more interested in this. I see the appeal, but it may not necessarily be for me. So that is a
0: Shuffle from Lookout Games.
2: Five-minute initiative is complete. <laughs>
1: Over the weekend, Vanessa and I was wanting to watch uh, a movie. We were in a, in a, hey, let's watch a comedy, something funny. So I went and looked up what were the top comedies of 2023. And one of them was The Holdovers, which I'd heard a lot of good things about. It was like number two on the comedies. So Tony, Vanessa and I sat and watched this movie with Paul Giamatti. And I like Paul Giamatti. Okay, I don't know what's happening with the definition of comedies. That was not a comedy. It was, at the most, maybe some lighthearted moments here and there, but it was way much more of a drama. What has happened to all the good comedies? You remember, you know, 15, 20 years ago when you had your hangovers and your super bads and your anchormans and stuff that was just pure comedy. Are those just not around anymore?
0: Well, you and I have different tastes in comedies.
1: Okay, forget the taste in comedies. Can you name a pure comedy movie that's not part of some sort of drama or something? It's just... It's funny. It's just made to make people laugh.
0: No, I can't. I can't think of any that have just made me laugh. Rom-coms are the closest thing I can even think of recently. And I can't think of any comedies that have been out that I've enjoyed because a lot of them, are, they've gone raunchy or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't need that crap. You know, just made yep. me laugh. Right,
1: right. I think the, the hardest I've laughed recently at a movie was probably Deadpool 2. And that's been years ago, but that's kind of more of a superhero movie. But, you know, again, when you I know you didn't like Napoleon Dynamite, and that's even older than that. But, uh, you know, like uh, The Bridesmaids, you know, was a big popular uh, movie from many, many years ago. And like I said, The Hangover, I don't know. It just seems that pure comedies are just art around. And I just wish that somebody just said, hey. Here's a movie going to make you laugh. Enjoy it. Keep wishing. I don't think it's happening. I don't think it's happening anytime. But at least I'm glad I saw the holdovers because uh, nominations for the Oscars just
0: came out. And, um, hey, it was nominated for a lot of stuff. So I said, hey, I saw an Oscar movie. So I'm looking through these and of the comedies, you know, what, what's some recent comedies that have come out? And I'm seeing a lot of splattered tomatoes. You <laughs> you're
1: on rotten tomatoes.
0: Well, okay. yeah, just a list on my my search. It's like, you know, 53% and I'm looking at the green dots, you know? I'm like, okay, there's not hardly anything. Maybe they'll get some good ones coming out. Maybe the movie theaters will start producing stuff. I'm sure there's good comedies on all these streaming services, Max, Netflix, Amazon. I don't know. I I you're right. Hey, if you're in a Discord channel, be sure to go over there and say, "You know what? You gentlemen need to go watch This comedy.
1: Speaking of the Oscars, uh, Tony and I are also prepping for the Squirrelies. That's going to be happening in early March. I've already been started talking to the presenters. So you definitely want to keep an eye out for that.
0: So be ready to start voting in the All Y'all Award, where Mm -hmm. there'll be a write-in ballot of uh, what was your favorite game of 2023. And you can then dictate who presents the favorite game of the RGTN listeners. That's right.
1: All right. So, Tony, I just finished playing uh, Fan Detective Ghost Trick. Uh, this was a game that came out from Capcom. I played it on the Switch. It came out from Capcom on the DS many, many, many years ago, and it was ported over to the Switch. If you like puzzle games, interesting twist on puzzle games. It plays about 12 hours. I, I recommend this one. The story kind of fell flat for me at the end, but I enjoyed it because of the puzzle element of the game. It's not puzzly like Professor Layton, not those style of puzzles, hmm. but it's more of a physics-type style puzzles. Oh, okay. Which, uh, Yeah, so I really, really enjoyed that. So Phantom Detective Ghost Trick, finished it up, uh, enjoyed my time with it. Now I'm trying to decide what to play. I kind of feel like I want to play an RPG. I just can't sob between Sea of Stars and Golden Sun, which just came out on Nintendo Online, which is a classic Game Boy Advance game that I actually started playing when I had my Game Boy Advance, but just never finished it.
0: Mm. You know what? I, I never did go get Advance Wars. Or did I? I can't remember now. I have to go check in my my Switch catalog. It's probably unopened. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. It's unopened.
1: (laughs) That's a good turn-based game. It it really is. Yeah. However, uh, I did uh, send you links to the now NCSoft-supported CDF
0: Hero servers
1: that are up, and I've installed that.
0: Oh, I have battled. That was an internal battle. Do I want to go do this again? Why not? Do it. i let's 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 play together for a little bit. Oh. I just never made fun. it to 40. Did you get on the did you get on the server that doubles your XP? The characters I had from previously when I played
1: it was not on the double XP server, but I would create one there. If you just I didn't gotta say we gotta grind to 40. Wait a 40. Just kind of like My what? characters there? No, no. My characters last year when this was an unsupported server i created one and just played around with it but the ones i created uh, characters on was not the two times xp servers so i would do that if you wanted to just to monkey around with it and go listen to the music and
0: did you go into
1: the sewers i was was gonna say
0: to the sewers did you go into the factory did you go into the caves and the the warehouse yeah Mm -hmm. and then you're running around hitting the thugs yes okay doing that and do you want to fly jump or teleport for your for your travel they say the best way was leaping
1: i had leaping, but but i thought leaping was boring but i wish that was the best way to travel
0: well by this let's see when i would when you'd leap you would land in a whole bunch of people and you would die
1: oh okay i i did teleport for the longest time but you got to be quick at the button because if you don't teleport quick enough and you're in midair you start falling
0: yeah, so I'm um, I would lean more towards the flying if I recreate sun poison, or fast or as uh, fast speed, super speed, super speed. I I can't control that. There'd be okay. I'd be running into a factory in a heartbeat. Just bam. <laughs> And then I'd forgotten, you know, somebody in our Discord tr Night was talking about he had a, a superhero haul and all this other stuff. And then I started thinking about crafting and how you could combine the various things together to get the upgrades and how the like, inspirations. I yeah. think they're, yeah, I f- totally forgot about that. I was just like, okay. And then how did the healing work? I'd have to go back and look at all that. So. Uh, 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 maybe i'll install it when i'm sitting here over on a cold weekend or something either way i'm just going to keep rolling dice and taking names
1: hey y'all thanks for listening remember you can support the show over at buymeamoonpie.com please join our discord channel follow all our socials i mean heck just go to rolldicetakenames.com. you're going to see the links for all this stuff Next episode, we'll be covering some games we've played at Tantrum Con. And don't forget, coming in March, you're going to have our big annual Squirrely Awards.
0: Twelve years doing this podcast. Uh-huh. I'm not asking for much. Just a card that says come. From Ignacy? Yeah, for the just an invite con? card. I mean, what what does it... I mean, what would it
1: take? It doesn't even have to be put in the actual physical snail mail.
0: It could just be an email. Just say... Hey, you want to come? Uh, I'd like to actually. I'd like to see it in. I'd like to see like a the twenty fifth. I would like to see it in Boston. I would have liked to have seen the twenty five. Mm-hmm. You know, but it would have been nice. But okay,
1: fine. Maybe next year. Maybe they'll do a big celebration at Gen Con, and maybe he'll bring in some
0: cake or something. Well, hopefully, we'll be around for his fiftieth. We won't be around for his thirtieth. <laughs>